Hey, Lucas. Yes, Madison. Bees are great. Bees are great. I like wasps better. Oh, no. Isn't that a different take? I think we just lost some. That's the quickest we've ever lost somebody. What because was that? 10 seconds? <laughs> 10 seconds and half the audience leaves? The way this is going, I think you like a wasp better. <laughs> Janet Van Dyne. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. I don't, yeah, let's be honest. Like, Hank Pym, not the best dude. He did not deserve the wasp. He was the wasp for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're right. I mean. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of like bad husbands in like the Marvel <laughs> universe. Marvel universe. There's, like there's like stares at Reed Richard like I'm Mr. F- the least fantastic father. There's like an entire podcast dedicated to that crap. But that's not what we're doing today. So on today's episode, we actually got Hello, bees. a we got a beekeeper, not just a beekeeper, like apparently the beekeeper of like the Southeast. I don't know. His name's Logan. He's great. Uh, you'll love him. Great guy. Uh, we'll go through the news real quick and then you can get to listening about the bees and all the cool stuff that they do. And who knows? Maybe by the end, you guys might think about, you know, keeping your own bees or immediately realize how much of a bad idea that is for your lifestyle. All right. Cue the music. All right, in science news, uh, let's talk about dirt real quick. I mean, what do you, what's there to say about dirt, Lucas? Uh, it turns out really, really great and really, really bad on the moon. Well, wait, 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 wait. Did people think the moon had good dirt? Well, that's the problem. You see, we always knew that the moon had pretty bad dirt for growing soil. Obviously, to grow agriculture is to colonize a place. If you've ever watched The Martian, that was the coolest part of the film. But we... We need to find a way to do it, and we actually took the first steps to figuring it out. Wait, you said the Martian, and my brain went to my favorite Martian. There's not a lot of agriculture happening in that. <laughs> but the suit, the dancing suit. Yes, we've always known it, and we've run it on simulations, but some scientists were finally able to get their hands on the actual moon dirt brought back from the Apollo mission. Now, obviously, Ooh. it's been really hard to get that because that stuff is priceless. Like, we haven't been back to the moon since the Apollo. Yeah, no, this is literally like the most expensive pocket sand and probably really dangerous. The problem with moon soil is that it's basically filled with tiny pieces of iron and nickel glass that if you try growing anything in it, it's super duper toxic. When they started growing plant life in it, they were able to grow it, but it was wilted. It was stressed. This is the first step to agriculture on the moon that we'll probably have to get into once we start putting bases up there. What those bases will look like, who will run it, that's going to be like no one knows. But what we do know is that they're going to need to eat, and this is the first step. If we can find a way to get plants to grow in modified moon soil, then that means that we can limit the amount of materials need to be sent, reduce weight on different things. It's a major step. And the fact that they were able to get their hands on that dirt is like really cool. It's really cool that they were actually able to get their hands on the real moon dirt to grow stuff in. Did they happen to say what they were growing? Because I know that like for a lot of zero G testing and stuff, it's been things like Thalcress. Yeah, Thalcress is the one they were trying to grow. I don't know enough about plants to tell you what it tastes like, but Thalcress is the thing. All right, that's pretty much it for science news. Obviously in Pokemon news, now Don couldn't be with us, sadly. He left stuff to list. We have to talk about what the top four. Top the top eight. Top what eight. What is this filthy New Jersey town called? Secaucus. Secaucus. Ugh. Quick Jersey side note. I had a man I come to the aquarium and touch a stingray and go like, oh, that touch that feels like mozzarella. Oh, sorry. I'm from New Jersey. He like legit told me like, oh, it, te- it feels like mozzarella. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm from New Jersey. Like he had to explain himself after that. And you were like, oh, okay, this tracks. All right. So uh, to talk about the top eight. Honestly, we went through the top eight. There was some cool stuff. Yeah. I looked at it, but tell me, is Ky- is Kyogre in it? Once. Only once. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Really? Yeah. Andrew Ding, number six. Palkia? With his- Palkia? Uh, let's see. I mean, There's three. One. Yeah, three Palkias. Would you like to guess how many Infernapes? Infernape showed up? No. In- <laughs> yeah. I was going to be really confused for a second. I was like, Infernape? Honestly, I think the biggest surprise, Lucas, is that in the top eight, there are only three Zacian. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. Everyone has an Infernape. 
Not Infernape. The Incineroar. Everyone has an Incineroar. You said Infernape. Stop doing yeah. that. Sorry. I'm like, wait, what are people running on Infernape? Is Iron Fist back? Sorry, Incineroar. That's on me. There are eight fire starters. Leave me alone. <laughs> but only one is VGC viable. Well, I mean, no, we Charizard, two, uh, Charizard, but Charizard didn't make top eight. Oh, no, it did. Yeah, it, it did. It, no, did. Third, it did. Third place. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Okay. Okay, but look who is the number two. Look at the team for number two. It's a, it's a, it's a shadow tag team. But look at the little cream oh, no, pop I, on I, the I, bottom. I, I love, well, that's Underhill. We interviewed him, remember? Yeah, but like. Alex Underhill. Yeah, Alex, we, we love you. You're great. Yeah, like you mean running an Al Creamy. Al Creamy got the Dell team. Well, Alex Alex always runs bizarre, unique crap. And I think that's what's cool about him. Honestly, these guys are obviously the top of what they do. It just always bums me out. Like, we're the newcomer. We're the up and coming rookie and coming and knock them down a peg. It's like, no, they're basically untouchable. It just swaps between who gets what. Well, to be fair, it's, it's like any other skill. It takes time to learn to. All right, Don, lighten me up. We got any Pokemon Go news? Whoa. Chris? Chris, lighten it up. Do you have any Pokemon Go news? Ah, my brain. No, just edit all that out and just do me. Hey, Chris, do you got Pokemon Go news? So we have the Ultra Beasts are are coming in. We finished the the Tapu rotation and Nihiligo is uh, <gasps> coming can you, in. Can you like, so, because I'm going to get a new phone this winter, this, uh, this like late summer, Chris. Yeah. Can you get me a Celestelia and hold it? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Because <laughs> I told, that's my baby. Nihiligo. Nee-hee, nee-hee, oh nee-hee. no, Celestia and Cartana are my babies. For me, steals. I'm just like I'm still on that mindset of <laughs> meteor beam go burr. It'll be. In- I'm interested to see how the Ultra Beasts play out in. Also, well, uh, Ultra Beasts play out in Pokemon Go. There's been a pretty because speed doesn't really matter in, in the battle aspect of the game. A lot of the big bulky things are like very viable in battling. And so I'm guessing that Celesteela, when it debuts, is going to become like whatever Bastiodon is in the Great League. I think it, I think that Celesteela is going to be a, a pretty big monster in Go Battling. God, I remember when that thing first came out. You know, you you never truly. I loved using it in singles. It was so great. And Guzzle, Guzzlord's probably going to be. Yeah, sick. Guzzlord would probably be really good in Pogo too. I would just take a Guzzlord. Like, can you put those guys on like um, gym still, or that doesn't yeah. let you? Yeah, I would yeah. put a Guzzlord on a gym next to a Blissey. Max level Guzzlord with Blissey. Yeah. Yeah. Come get me. Come get my gym. I'm gonna make my money. I'm gonna make my fifty coins. What are you <laughs> going to do about it? Yeah. The uh, the the last bit of of Pokemon news, real quick, before we get into our show news. But they did do the uh, Astral Radiance TCG expansion drop, and that has all the Hisui Mons. Oh, cool! Nice. And so there's some really cool artwork in this one. I've been getting quite. I've been getting the Zora Arc. Zora Arc is gonna sell out. Like, well, like days. totally save me stuff, y'all, because like, and Kate, because I know you're listening. Save me stuff too, please, <laughs> for when you come visit Ohio. Legit, because like I know that like, the whole reason I got into it was to play with Lila and then Lila and Chloe. So I know that Lila, Chloe, and I will totally play again later this summer. Okay, one more thing. Sorry, one. It's it's more like I have one thing before we get to our actual news. One thing, very small. We still haven't gotten the trailer for Scarlet and Violet. If one does not come out in the next two to three weeks, I will be livid, and I'm very very upset about this whole thing. So also, I'm really sad that I've had the name picked out Scarlet for a daughter for years, and now I'm gonna feel like an even bigger Pokemon nerd. <laughs> oh, yeah. you named her. Scar- I named her. Oh, I named her Scarlet. I haven't named well, yeah, but that's like legit. Like Kevin already knows. He's like, oh, Madison wants to name our future child Scarlet, <laughs> and it's like I feel like such a big nerd now because once I found the name, I was like, no. I mean, it couldn't be any worse than the kids I met one day who were named Falcon and Endor by their Star Wars loving father. <laughs> God bless them. God bless to be them. fair, to be fair, mine would be Scarlet because of uh, Wanda Maximoff. There you go. That's. Almost. That's still <laughs> nerdy. That's still nerdy. This is what not a mean? Pokemon child. This is a Marvel child. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh God. Okay, please. Wait. I got. I have one last Pokemon thing, real quick. <laughs> it's because it's because it's super cool. On the Pokemon Center right now, they're doing a thing where if you there's no price limit, but if you buy something, you get a little tiny inflatable Lapras that'll carry your drink at the pool floating next <gasps> to you. What? 
I'm going there now. Come I'm on now. Right this second. I'm literally on the website right now. We're recording this on Wednesday. I have no idea if it's, or Tuesday. I have no idea if it's going to be viable <laughs> on Friday when we oh, release. Oh, this thing is hideous. I want it. If you want to get something, if you want those, go find some $8 thing on Pokemon Center and get yourself one of those. Go get some little... sitting cuties, yo. People have been sending me like the Magikarp bucket hat. Like, guys, I cannot pull off a bucket lid. I cannot pull off the bucket hat. I can't. Okay, anyways, our show knows. Yes, yes, yes Madison, what is our show news? Show news. Uh, show knows. <laughs> Do the right. thing. So we'll be at Colossicon again, uh, like we always are. Uh, we'll be there starting Friday the 3rd all the way through uh, Sunday the 5th. So we have two panels on Friday. We have three on Saturday and one on Sunday. And I'm really excited due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> the girls will be with me. So uh, I'm kind of really excited because it's going to be the first time ever on Friday that Chris, Don, and I and Lila have done a panel <laughs> together. Oh, the oh! in the words of Imagine Dragons, oh, the misery. <laughs> I, well, I, it's not like me and Lila that's the issue. I, I think it's going to be Don and Lila. <laughs> They're gonna they're gonna fight over the scary animals. Uh, but I think they're gonna argue during. I'm placing my money on it now. Saturday at six during the Pokey Predators panel because we're gonna do Lila's version and not Dawn's. I'm pretty sure they're gonna argue the whole time. I'm really excited. My money's on Dawn, like just throwing your child across the room the second she calls Sunfish oh, ugly. Oh, you haven't met Lila. Lila is too smart for that. So good luck. I didn't say she wouldn't put up a fight. I'm just saying Dawn has probably wrestled bigger fish. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, also we have Saturday Night Late, the Pokemon Under the Sea, the Dawn version where it's scary Pokemon. Ah, you cowards. Not, nothing scary about getting your gut sucked out. Oh, yeah. Filthy casuals. Uh, and then Sunday, Lila and I, uh, I think alone, because I think Chris and Don will be leaving. Uh, we'll be doing Pokemon. We'll be talking about legendary Pokemon and their um, their uh, influences or their, their roots. Uh, other thing, though, just for anyone listening, is Friday at 7, we are running once again <laughs> the Pokemon photo shoot. <laughs> so thank you to... Uh, our friends who helped set that up, uh, we really appreciate that. And we'll give you a proper shout out on the next episode. Uh, but yeah, please, if you're coming to Colossal Con or if you're considering it, come on out. I know uh, Don's sister, myself, and uh, my friends and the girls are all dressing up as Eevees. So that should be fun, too. I even dyed my hair purple. That should look nice. I'm so set to be Espeon, yo. Yeah, and keep in mind, if you can't make it to Colossal Con... There's always Dragon Con. So all the news out of the way. Yes. For, we're going to go ahead and we are going to cut to the interview. We were did it, We actually did the interview last week and we had some spare time. Me and Chris sat down with Logan, uh, another Florida boy, as we figured out. Um, I'll go, we'll come on back when it wraps up. Let's welcome in our guest for today, Logan. Logan, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to everybody? Hey, yeah, so... I'm Logan. Um, I'm a fifth generational beekeeper. My dad and uncles are in beekeeping, as well as my cousin Ryan. Um, my grandfather Lawrence Cuts. He is the only beekeeper in the Ag Hall of Fame. So, like growing up, I had a a really good teacher. Really knew what he was doing. Wait, there's an Ag Hall of Fame? Yeah, yeah. In Florida, uh, he is the only beekeeper. There's like guys that are like cattlemen. Uh, you got the Orange Grove guys, and he is the only beekeeper in it. It's really a, an awesome accomplishment. So you're Dude. descendant from beekeeping royalty. <laughs> yeah, he is considered the grandfather of southeastern beekeeping. So this is like the guy. We have like, yo, we've had people from the National Weather Service, volcanologists, heads of museums. Oh, we got like the bee, the Duke of Bees right here. Yeah, yeah. And he would, I mean, he paved the way for me so i am very privileged and blessed to be his grandson that is so cool that's so amazing i mean our first question whenever we ask these sort of interviews is how did you get to teaching about what you do or what you're doing you kind of answered that where no i just descend from the glorious southern eastern bee dynasty five generations long I think the question more is, did you have any other options? <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that is a good question. I mean, like, uh, he never forced us into it, but like, 
you kind of, you know, pick it up being around him, being related to him. I mean, you're just surrounded by it. So it was only natural. I followed into my dad's and his and, you know, so on and so forth, their footsteps. Um, but right now I uh, do consulting. I consult over a thousand hives in the state of Florida for, you know, promoting better management practices. I do educational workshops with universities and counties. And, uh, you know, I just try to promote bee health because uh, the bee's biggest enemy is ignorance. So if I can help with that, I can help the bees more than anything. And and when you say you're consulting, are you consulting with like industry or with like pr- uh, private beekeepers, both? Yeah, mo- I, I do a lot of both. Uh, a lot of your commercial guys use me as like uh, a experienced hand. Um, whenever they need to do something like uh, when it comes to grafting queens or they need someone to help them find a good yard, they need someone that they can rely on to to find those pollination contracts and services. And then a lot of my clientele are those small scale private beekeepers with uh, 10 or less hives that just need someone experienced to be their teacher and um, show them the show them the way <laughs> very cool so you mentioned you taught in like australia so like how many countries have you so you're like international how many countries have you actually like taught in i've personally taught in four australia jamaica haiti and then i briefly for a couple of days was in the philippines uh australia was much more of bouncing ideas off each other uh, they have some amazing minds over there that ha- are just amazing beekeepers. So as much as I was teaching them how I kept bees, they were as well teaching me how they kept bees. They're actually the last continent without a uh, bee pest known as the Varroa mite or a Varroa destructor. So it was a really amazing experience for me to go there and uh, to work with them. I have done like Zoom classes with beekeepers from the Philippines and Kenya. Uh, But in two months, I will be setting foot in Kenya to help start apiaries in six different villages over there. Wow. With all these different countries that you're going to, what sort of considerations do you have to take into account for in the aspects of beekeeping? Like what do you have to be conscious of? There is a, a ton of stuff that I have to think about. Probably the most important thing is what do they need like I can't just land somewhere and be like hey you know I'm a bee expert let me teach you this stuff like you know there has to be a need first and uh, finding from the best management practices for their bees their area and even their economic status is super important like we are very fortunate to have money to buy very like wood is very expensive and other people don't have that luxury that they can just go out and find a, a pine or an oak and chop it down and, uh, you know, make it into to lumber to make things with. So they have to work with what they got. And then like in Kenya, we're going to be using a lot of top bar hives where the bees make the wax themselves. Uh, they're free forming. Uh, sometimes they're in a log, the Kenyan log hive. And so it's just recognizing who are you working with, what's the need, uh, and and what's their knowledge. Like the couple of the towns I'm going to, their beekeepers have died, and they didn't retain any of the knowledge that they had left behind. And so they're really suffering from both an agricultural and an economic standpoint. So I have to recreate that bridge that has fallen for you know whatever reason it may be and uh, help their lackluster crops become more more yielding and to provide them with a, a different source of income as well because not only could they make honey and get their crops to be better but they could also you know like make candles out of the out of the wax so a couple of the villages are part of the kumba tribe which are rope makers and so what can you make with beeswax and and rope. You can make candles. So just evaluating that individual situation and, and to prepare a way to uh, to help them. Uh, second and most important thing 
is the type of bee. There's like 26 recognized subspecies of honeybees and at least six different evolutionary groups. A, the African subspecies. M, the northern and western European subspecies. The C, the North Mediterranean subspecies. The O and Z, which are the Middle Eastern subspecies. And Y, which is Ethiopian. And something to note, there is no such thing as a honeybee that is native to America. We use uh, European mutts here. And knowing those different types of bees, knowing their different types of pests, because they have different behaviors, different weather tolerances, uh, the ones that we use, the European mutts, they produce a lot more honey and have better honey production, but they don't handle pests as well as the African subspecies do. So it's using that uh, pros and cons of which bees to use. Look, we assume that there's a lot we could know about beekeeping because we brought you here, but that is like, wow, that's amazing. Like so much detail. You don't, you, you understand that it takes a lot of work, but when you actually hear it. Yeah. And you know, honeybees are like super important, you know, excluding other pollinators, honeybees alone pollinate close to 87% of all flowering plants. And this includes 130 of fruits and vegetables that we use as commercial crops. And so, you know, we could talk about the act of pollination, how it works from the male part, the anther, to the female part, the stigma, to, you know, help generate seeds, the next crop. But bees help produce $235 billion of the U.S. economy, according to the USDA. Excuse you? Yeah. <laughs> Say that again? $235 billion of the U.S. economy comes from the honeybee. How many Twitters can I buy with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every third bite you take is contributed to pollinators, either directly or indirectly. So, like, for example, with the indirect, we all understand the direct, you know, bees plant us. But, like, for indirect, you know, think about cows and pigs. You know, they eat plant material. So, majority of, of what we eat can be contributed to the honeybee. I mean, my next question was going to be positive environmental impacts, but yeah, I think Lucas getting to eat is a uh, pretty pretty solid. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. To to answer, you know, other positive environmental implications is like the yield of increasing pollinating services, uh not only for the food food security within you know, boundaries of, of nations, but they also reduce water use more than land use and positively impact climate change by reducing the environmental impact of protein and sugar systems. To be transparent, there are some times where bees and agriculture do not help the environment. We could talk about uh, the stressors of moving bees from, you know, one place from Florida to California and monocultural cropping, that of course is bad. But from another aspect, uh, almond pollination. So for every one almond, and I'm just talking about one single nut, it takes 3.2 gallons of water to make that nut. That is a lot of water. It takes two hives to pollinate an acre of almonds. But from an economic standpoint, that's a big deal for beekeepers. Every year, on the average, they could get $185 to $200 per hive, and they can fit $480 on a flatbed truck. That is a lot of these commercial beekeepers' income. So from an economic standpoint, it is great. But from an environmental standpoint, that commercial almond production and commercial pollination service is, is not a good thing. You've probably convinced at least one person listening, like, all right, I'm going to get me some bees. What do you, do you just go to, they're like a home beepo or whatever, like to get everything or like, do you have to talk to a buddy who knows a buddy? How do you get started and how do you know if you actually should? Well, uh, there is, I guess, a beepo. So like <laughs> there is a place in uh, High Springs and a place in Moultrie, Georgia, and they are uh, big commercial suppliers of, of not only the equipment, but on the side, they have businesses that give them nooks to sell the new beekeepers. And nooks are your starter hive. It's short for nucleus. So you have three frames of brood, two frames of, of food, and it is your starter pack. 
and uh, eventually that hive will grow into a normal 10 frame box. Uh, but the best thing I can tell people is find out where your uh, you know local club is, shadow under someone, whether it be a commercial guy or just an experienced backyard beekeeper. They can find a lot of resources off of like Bee Informed Partnership where they can um, see the different types of pests and diseases they'll run into. Uh, there's Stay away from YouTube. I'll just say that. Stay away <laughs> from YouTube. Uh, if you go on YouTube, find those EDUs or government accounts. You know, Go to their workshops. Uh, learn first before you just dive in blindly because there is a ton to learn. And there's a, a lot of misinformation out there. I feel like with the, with the YouTube side of it too, it's like once you know and have a solid like base or foundation, you're able to kind of parse through some things. But if you're just like, like you said, going in blind, I, there's just potential for a lot of not great things to come about. Yeah, yeah. And like if you figure out that it's not for you, like, oh, wow, this is like more than what I bargained for. Like there's small things that you can do to help bees from planting native flowers you can buy a bee hotel off of Amazon, and it is specifically for native pollinators. Uh, I would suggest getting one of the more diverse ones with oak chips, bamboos, pine cone logs, stuff like that. Something that gives them options to make their home from. And even like letting your lawn grow out a little bit longer in the fall to allow like that Spanish needle, goldenrod, and in the springtime those uh, wild blackberries to grow a little bit further and yield just a little bit more blooms what's like a common thing that most people like if you were to dispel one one thing that you could be like right here we're gonna nip it in the bud a lot of people go in with what we already talked about no research no educational material they just buy bees and they plop them on the ground and then i get a lot of phone calls from people wanting to consult them or autopsy their dead hive and the first question i always ask is what is their mite level if they start out with, well, I didn't see any mites, I stop them right there. Because your, your mite problem is in the brood. They're not, your mite problem is not the phoretic mites, which are the mites on the bees. You don't have to, I don't have to look at your hive to tell you if you're in America and you have honeybees, you have row mites in them and you need to take care of them properly. And I understand people go in with, with good intentions and they want to be organic or natural but unfortunately, there's nothing natural about modern-day beekeeping. Preach. Yeah. We have a European mutt bee with an Asian mite, with an African beetle, a Middle Eastern moth, in an American habitat. Nothing is natural about it. It's its own little, it's its own little world. Exactly. So please, 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 if you're listening to this, treat your bees for the pest. They really need the help. And if you do it, your bees will be healthy. You'll make more honey. If you don't, you'll be calling me asking where you can buy another hive from. So you mentioned honey. How much honey can you typically get from your average hive? Is it like, like what amount do you get? Like if there a bee that produces much more, like if I'm looking at this from purely a profit standpoint, where am I getting my honey from? If you're looking at it from a, a profit standpoint, plant the huge nectar yielding plants before you even get bees so on average like a stationary hive in someone's backyard it's probably not going to get more than 15 to 20 pounds of honey a year uh, because it all has to do with location if you're in a great location that you know you're in the swamps and there's a lot of gallberry and palmetto and mangrove tupelo things like that your bees could easily make 60 pounds of honey in just a just a few short months um, so if you're in a great location you'll make a lot of honey you can make a location like I said if you don't want to move your bees all around and follow the honey flows you know find out what grows well in your area you know uh, citrus uh, goldenrod um, and unfortunately Brazilian pepper something that is highly invasive the bees just love so uh, now, Logan, with beekeeping, I uh, I know that in other like backyard things, like people talk about backyard chickens a lot. You don't get into backyard chickens to save money. 
is that true in beekeeping as well? Is it more of like for, is that true in beekeeping? Yes. Yes. So like a lot of people go in and they think, oh, well, I can just leave the bees there. They'll make the honey. I'll take it out. I'll have more honey than what I need. And, and that part's true. You will have more honey than what you can can eat in one household with a hive. But those first couple of years, you're going to be in the hole because a, a, a 10-frame hive will run you from anywhere 250 to, to 350 easily. A nook, that 5-frame hive, the starter hive, it will run you anywhere between 170 to $230, depending on where you're at. And you got to think you got to buy the bee suit if you're not comfortable around the bees. You got to buy your smoker, your hive tool, so and the the mite treatment. So there's a lot of things that you have to buy to properly take care of your bees before you even make honey. And we always tell people that first year, you know, let the hive get acclimated, let it grow a little bit. That first year, you're not going to make any honey. So the last question we want to ask you before we get into the Pokemon, obviously YouTube bad, 99% don't listen. What resources should we use like to figure out beekeeping, to figure out if we even should go for an apprenticeship? Uh, well, you could reach out to like a local ag extension agent. Um, if you're not in Florida and you don't have one of those, you could Google your state's beekeeping association, find one of those clubs to shadow under another person. Uh, be informed partnership, something I mentioned earlier, that is a, a nationwide thing. And like certain universities do have some great YouTube series, like Keith Delaplane at the University of Georgia. He has some great, uh, ser a great series called A Year in the Life of Beekeeping. And sure, a lot of it uh, will be uh, Georgia specific, but majority of it will be really good information for any beginning beekeeper to get. Well, that's so cool. So we've been we've been talking a lot about bees, and people have been patient. It's time we got to get into the Pokemon at this point. There aren't as many as there need to be, but we got to talk about these mons. Okay, so before we get to the actual bees, we have to get to the fake bee, Bee Drill. <laughs> Our our fake first bee. <laughs> our fake first bee. I mean, we should have probably known when it started off as a weedy little caterpillar. It's like, that doesn't seem right. But it has bee in the name. We weren't we weren't uh acclimated to how Pokemon turns sea lions into or otters into sea lions yet. Yeah. So weird. What what are your thoughts, Logan, on Bee Drill? Overall, it's a design. I mean, I like the design. I mean it's supposed to be the, the Asian giant hornet, so it's supposed to be fierce. It's supposed to be uh, very menacing, and I think it gets the, the point across, but uh, I was uh, down south at a, a big entomology fair, and I was telling this kid that had a Pokemon shirt on, I was like, oh, I love Pokemon too. Let me tell you about Combi, and he's like, what about bee drill? And I had to bite my tongue a little bit. I was like, yeah, let's talk about bee drill. <laughs> Local beekeeper punches child, leaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but like I think from like that that apex predator standpoint in their respective food chains, bee drill is a really good design. I mean, like, how many episodes do we get of like the bee drills chasing Ash and his friends so so it really it fits because wasp and hornets are just jerks <laughs> I, I mean i we get that a lot but i honestly don't find them to be that awful i actually i i support them why do they get so much hate well i i think it's because even though bees uh sting as well they're more of defensive reactions than uh the wasp actively seeking something out and being the aggressor so like you can tangibly uh see the benefits and eat the benefits of bees whereas for wasp and hornets people just don't really understand or appreciate their part in the ecosystem um so like we're aware of the situation in washington with the asian giant hornet and something that is super amazing about this hornet that is also very scary is if you have like an underlying heart condition or maybe a condition that that may mess with your your heartbeat your blood whatever it may be uh 
if this hornet stings you, you can be in a full muscular paralysis in 15 minutes, which it leaves a very potent smell whenever it stings you. Just like other hymenopteran, whenever they sting you, it leaves that tagging scent so that her sisters will come and be like, well, why did our sister sting this thing? Oh, this is the threat. We need to also sting it. And so that 15 minutes allows those other hornets to come and finish the job in a sense that she started. I knew a teacher who got, uh, when I was living in Japan, a teacher told me that one of the other teachers got stung and had to be go to the hospital. Just one. Apparently, if I did the math right, about 50 or so is lethal to a human being. Just any human being. Yeah, and 15 of them can kill a whole hive of 60,000 honeybees. They Jesus. just rip through them. It's it's crazy. Wasp hornets, bees, they work a lot on pheromones. So if they smell it, that is a, a form of communication to be like, this is who we need to focus on. Um, and like we give off pheromones as well. So like if, if we're sweaty, bees don't differentiate between a human sweaty and like an animal's musky smell. So uh, if you come to a beehive with a lot of shampoo, they're going to be a little curious. They're going to get in your hair thinking you're a flower. If you come to a beehive really angry, they're going to be like, why is this person giving off all these pheromones of, of anger? So bees, bees and wasps, they communicate um, through three different ways, mostly. The first being pheromone smell. The second being how they feed each other, the tropolactic communication with their tongues, with the proboscis. And then the third way, which bees communicate with, is the waggle dance, where she uses the position of the hive, the food, and the sun, and she does a figure eight telling the other bees where that food source is. But that pheromone communication is huge. Wow. So the one bee, the one, the one bee I know is the Buddha bee in Japan, the one that when it gets attacked by the giant Asian hornet, it'll just bum rush them, start vibrating, and cook them alive. That's the best. I'm so happy. I love those bees so much just because that is that is exactly the kind of mentality you need to deal with something like this. It's like, no, cook it alive. Burn it with fire. It's so cool. I honestly think we should give this combi heat wave, but no one listens to our... We've had so many great ideas on this show and nobody listens. And, and I think combi is based off of Apis Serana, so it would just fit so perfectly. And that does kind of lead to our next section. Now we have to talk about the actual bee, Combi. We kind of mentioned it. What kind of bee could Combi be? That's a lot of bee. I think it is either, you know, Apis serrana, the, the Asian honeybee, or it could be the Apis dorsata, the other Asian bee, the, the giant honeybee. Uh, but if I had to narrow it down to one, it's probably the first one, Apis serrana, um, which is a native to Japan. It really bothers me that they're mostly male because in the actual bee world, the workers are all females and there's very few drones in the hive. And they're only significant in the superorganism's goal of genetic dispersion to mate with other queens and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, so it really bothers me that whenever I'm shiny hunting for that shiny comb bee and to, to evolve her into a, a shiny vespaquin, and I get that male shiny combi. Man, it just really bothers me even more. <laughs> you feel like the Salazzle people? Remember them? Those poor, poor souls. That's the saddest corner of the Pokemon world. The, Sal the Salandit and the Vespa Queen shiny hunters. They are like, uh, like, you know, some Pokemon like players have like the, um, like the, uh, the stigma of being grimy or being too try hard. Like, who are those people crying in the corner? Ah, the Vespa Quinn and Salazzle shiny hunters. We don't, we don't go really near them. They don't. They're, they're pretty well kept. They're just kind of a bummer. Yeah, they're the sad group. Since we're talking about it, I really want to mention that the shiny Vespa Quinn. A lot of people say that it's based off of that amber-colored honey, but I would prefer to think of it as more of a, a tribute to the Cordovan bee, which is a mutation in all the honey bee species or subspecies rather. And it is a super docile and a super beautiful uh, red and blonde bee that 
I just love to work with. So I want to say a part of the Pokedex says that so combies will like join and flying together and they have an average nest of about 100 combies. So in the daytime, they're flying around looking for stuff. At night, they form this massive wall. And I was able to run some calculations based on what it says. A combi hive, like they each weigh about 12 pounds. So it's about 1,210 pounds for just for all these bees. So I, I wanted to know, I'm trying to do some quick math here. How heavy is the average honeybee hive and how many bees are in that? So in a feral hive, you're probably looking at more of, of 35 pounds because a, an average hive will have about 15 pounds of bees and you got to take in consideration like the honey, the brood, the wax, which wax is only like two two pounds of wax can hold... 22 pounds of honey so the wax isn't a lot but that honey and that bee brood weighs weighs significant amount um but your standard uh beehive will have anywhere between 20,000 during the the early winter and early spring to about 60,000 during your spring and fall times so that there's a lot of bees in one hive I'm trying to think of like how many, like if you tried to, if some poor idiot decided to go over and just kick it, how much trouble would he be in in the spring or the fall? Well, it, if they go full defensive, that is more than enough to kill you, um, which luckily our European mutts, it takes a lot more than just a kick. So he'd probably get at the most if he kicked it really hard, maybe 15, 20 stings, which he'd feel in the morning and he'd learn his lesson. But uh, the the Africanized hives, the African hybrids. I've heard about them. I, I've heard the stories. Yeah, yeah. You got to be really careful with those. Also, with bees, when it's nighttime, they just all crash and burn. They just relax. And they don't go out at night, basically. Yeah, they they have a group of eyes on their forehead that require the sun to be out to for directional and placement of the hive. So... Uh, they have compound eyes, so you know they they see differently than we do. And actually, bees' vision is shifted to the right, where they can see ultraviolet, uh, but they just can't see the color red. So if they can't see the sun, the bee literally just goes from flying to just falls on the ground. I've seen some YouTube videos on that, where literally someone has a bunch of bees in a box and they flip a light switch and just bam. <laughs> Yeah, so if you're moving bees and the the guy beside you hands you the flashlight, he either doesn't like you or he's recording for a, a TikTok or something. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. that's all right. So with Combi, obviously you mentioned that the whole male to female ratio is kind of whack. So how does one Combi go from? How does a normal bee go from bee to queen? Do I just have to level up my bees? Like find the female bees and just like, all right, start eating this candy, start fighting other bees, we'll get you to a queen. Right, and it has to do with that uh, development process where the position of the egg. So worker bees are in the worker comb. It's flat and it is um, uh, horizontal. Excuse me. So the queen cell hangs downward so it's vertical and the worker bees the nurse bees whenever they go up to that cell and they see its different position they say oh this is a queen cell we gotta slam it full of royal jelly so the other eggs that are females they get fed royal jelly for three days and they're cut off and they're fed the worker diet which is the bee bread and the queen cell is just continuously fed that royal jelly. So she takes less time to develop because she's fed a, a higher grade of, of food. Uh, so she develops a longer abdomen that helps her lay in the cell. She develops proper ovaries, the, the proper female parts to where she can be mated and uh, successfully lay those diploid eggs. Uh, she develops that queen pheromone which is very important. The I am the queen. I am the one that's, in a way, calling the shots. And the home pheromone, the pheromone that says, hey, this is our hive. This is who we belong to. And so really, you could say those workers are just malnourished queens. They all had the potential to be a queen if they were only fed that only royal jelly diet. So the the... Queen takes 16 days, 
the worker takes 21 days. So that is a, a huge difference in how fast the queen develops through that better food. Are they betting, are they putting all their eggs in one basket with one queen? Or are they like, hey, there's a couple potential here. Let's slam these with royal jelly uh, and, and see what happens. Yeah, I've never seen, unless the beekeeper does it themselves, where the hive will only have one queen cell. Um, I always tell people, you know, sure, the queen cell looks a little short, uh, but sometimes the bees will manipulate it in a way where it goes a little bit deeper into the frame than others. Uh, I've never seen the bees uh, intentionally put all of their hope in that one queen cell. They'll make multiple ones, and... And once those hatch, she'll uh, get her uh, queen's court together, or in this case, it'll be a posse, and they will go through, and she and that group of bees will just destroy all of her competition. And if if two of them hatch out, that is an epic game of capture the flag, and uh, the loser, loser unfortunately dies. So... In Pokemon, like to make it more accurate, instead of like evolving it via levels, what should really happen is you feed it, like you feed it more of that honey or you feed it like a special protein to get it to that size. Yeah, yeah, that would be a, a lot more accurate to the real world scenario. And to be honest, it wouldn't be that big a change from what normal Pokemon does. The second they made us flip our DSs upside down to evolve something, it's like, no, we can evolve things a better way than this. Maybe if we even had like a, a branch evolution scenario where we had a pre-evolution of Combi and by level up, which is the normal way, you would get your your worker Combi, but if you fed them a lot during camping, you would get the Vespaquin. See, that would work. Like, see, that's, we haven't, they didn't really utilize the curry outside of like a side mission. Like, I remember when um, X and Y came out, you had to like give all the love to Evie to get a Sylveon. They really could have done that with the curry. That would have been cool. So we talked a little bit about it. So let's say we finally get our Vespaquin. What are your thoughts on Vespaquin's design, its whole aesthetic? I got to admit, the grub thing is gross. I don't like it. <laughs> Uh, I actually adore it. I think it is amazing, very uh, royalty-esque. Uh, but to, to talk about those grubs, I mean, bees go through that complete metamorphosis. So the grubs are like the caterpie of bees. It has to go through that larval stage um, in order to reach the cat brood or the bees version of the chrysalis. And whenever they hatch out into that adult, they are so fluffy, they're cute, and uh, the bees can't fly, so if you pick one up, it'll just crawl all around your hand. And uh, yeah, it has to go through that kind of weird worm stage in order to get to that cute stage. If I pick it up, are the pheromones of the bee going to be along with it? And are my hand going to be covered in worker bees? Uh, well, no, but you don't have to worry about it stinging you because it's a uh, stinger quite hasn't developed yet so it the bees that have just hatched out they can't sting you so in the pokedex it states that vespaquin runs the hive she's controlling everything whatever she wants the bees do i don't know if bees do that i don't think they have the intelligence for organized leadership how does a queen actually do anything aside from make babies that you know that's a good point she is like royalty at gunpoint so if she does her job, which is to make the babies. She is the reproductive female in the superorganism. She's protected. She's cared for. She's treated well. Um, but <laughs> if she doesn't, then they will kill her, and they'll do what we just talked about. They'll take about eight to ten of her last laid eggs. They'll form them into those queen cells, and they will find a different queen. So that kind of leads me over to the next one. Apparently, I was looking through the move list, you know, the attack order, the defense order. So she can't like order them around. She can't be like you attack. That's the pheromones doing the job for you. We, I was in Gainesville in a in a tournament, and of course, I had my shiny Vespaquin on my team, and that move won me the game. I used uh, Destiny Bond on this guy's Kyogre, and if sorry jason if you're hearing this sorry to put you on blast but you have to admit that is a great move uh, if you but, had done that crap on stream they would have lost their minds yeah yes it was awesome uh but like the the queen's ability to 
be the or not ability but her characteristic in the superorganism to be that reproductive female if they're not able to make another queen then the hive is definitely doomed with her destiny uh but in florida especially right now and uh during the hotter months at least so that's why i mentioned florida there can be a high likelihood that you have two queens in your hive but it only works for a mother and daughter where the daughter will allow her mother to have a couple of frames on the outside allocated to her and let her live out the rest of her life if they're cousins or they're not related they'll fight to the death but if it's a mother daughter they can live peacefully uh we do have one pokemon question for you and then i have a bonus one hidden away um what pokemon would make for good combi keeping because honestly combi is one of the few pokemon you can get food from without killing it and that's pretty great <laughs> yeah i i actually have a a list on my phone here i'm pulling it out right now uh so and, and being a beekeeper i have all these you know different uh different teams that I have, and I do have already the best beekeeping team. Oh, snap. Hands down, best beekeeping team. <laughs> so the, the first one you want is a fire type, something that can help you light your smoker, because uh, I don't know if smoke screen would work as well. Really? We were debating smoke screen. Yeah, so I don't know if smoke screen is supposed to be like a uh, a smoke that does harm, like, you know, it it makes them cough or, or whatever. It's meant to blind. It's basically just meant to blind you and lower your accuracy. Mess up your senses. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. You know, the, the lower accuracy effect of smokescreen. But for beekeeping and probably comb beekeeping, you want something that is scentless and a, uh, a cool smoke. So having a fire type just go ahead and light that smoker for you is probably better. And like sunny day, the... Uh, so that the bees can go out and go pollinate. That's probably another move that you're looking for. And so my personal pick for that one is Score Bunny. Because if the bees, if the comb bees get mad, Score Bunny can just book it and run away. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna one up you there because why have a Score Bunny with Sunny Day help you with beekeeping when you can have Groudon help you with beekeeping? <laughs> oh, <drought>. very, <laughs> very true. <laughs> I'm just imagining like, gr- like a man just with a Pokeball coming. Hi, welcome to the beekeeping farm. Groudon, keep doing what you're doing. Just a Groudon with a tiny hat. <laughs> good boy, Groudon. Oh, you're a good boy. Granddaddy would be proud. And it's that derpy one from the anime. Oh, God, yes. Back when the budget was like, yeah, these are legendaries, but like, we don't, we have, rat- we have a Rattata budget for a legendary. Do what you can. Yeah. <laughs> and so the next one is a water type because you're going to need to water the plants that you're growing for the cone bees to pollinate. And whenever you move bees, you need to water them down so they don't fly. Um, and then also uh, that substitute feed takes a lot of water. It's half sugar, half water. So uh, my personal favorite goes to Squirtle because uh, if the bees get mad, defensive nature goes into the shell and it can learn rain dance if you just need to water a lot of stuff at once i'm noticing a pattern here of like has a use and can avoid being stung yeah the next one is a grass type because you're gonna need to grow plants and you know have a water type and a grass type work together to grow those plants and plus something like a, a grookey with the hidden ability grassy terrain be perfect but for me my personal pick would probably be rowlet because rowlet would be able to fly and find out find where these cone bees have swarmed away to <laughs> all right so we have we have the water we have the fire we have the grass what else are we looking for the next one you're going to want is another vespaquin because bees like the smell of other bees especially those young bees they like the smell of a, a queen so vespaquin with like sweet scent and uh, defense odor would be perfect. So me being me, I would have my shiny Vespaquin, which is a very uh, docile be the Cordovans, and that would be my go-to for that role. Sweet. All right. And there's no chance, and, and she would be the queen of that hive specifically. Yeah. And and sometimes you're working a hive and you find they don't have a queen, so having one on deck is perfect. Sweet. Now look at that. All right. So. What else? Anything? I mean, we got the queen, we got the fire, we got, we got, what else? What else? Uh, well, you're going to need a blissy to help on those bad days in the bee yard when you got all those stings and 
The only thing that can help is maybe a Blissey's uh, heel pulse or something. Okay, slightly off track. If what is the best like if you're stung by bees on the job, what is your like go to to deal with the problem? Uh, well, my go to is to just immediately scratch that stinger out because the uh, the barb stinger is attached to the the poison sac that still has veins on it, so it's still pumping the that uh, bee venom into you. Uh, so it's best to just immediately take that stinger out and to apply heat to it first and then uh, after the heat after you're done working and it starts to swell up put some ice on it uh, I don't necessarily use a lot of of that because um, like Benadryl or, or stuff like that because I've been in beekeeping first for so long that I've grown a, a type of resistance to it and then also I'm allergic to ants so my body has overcompensated so like I was in a in a sense built for beekeeping because i react much less to a bee sting than what a normal person would and i have mast cell disorder so if i get bit by an ant i'm done but like if i get stung by a bee it's like whatever it, it doesn't really bother me logan you are absolutely like amazing just so you know like the man literally he was raised by the greatest beekeepers he it literally cannot be affected by them he has one weakness and it's a random thing from nature this is amazing you got one more pokemon slot left what is it all right so my last spot go has to go to an electric type and my personal favorite is a molga so right now, a lot of beekeepers are using uh, this treatment for mites called oxalic acid. And in order to vaporize those crystals, they're going to need a battery. So what better than a battery than an electric Pokemon? Just go ahead and uh, kick out the batteries, put in that flying squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. The last one. Now, if you listen, if you listen to our episodes, you hear us always with our interview, what Pokemon would you add to the game? But you already love Combi and Vespaquin, so we're going to change the game. You get to add a regional variant to the next region. You get to add a completely new regional variant of Combi and Vespaquin. It's all yours. Go nuts. Oh, man. Okay, so my regional variant would be a bug fighting type Vespaquin. Much more aggressive, has a, a super high attack and a special attack, but very low defense. And uh, it's based off of the uh, the African bee, uh, Apis gutulata. And I would make it uh, a little bit less on the royalty side and more on like the, uh, <laughs> I'm here to to kick butts and, and take names kind of thing. <laughs> That's awesome. No, you're, honestly, you're probably the fastest one to ever come up with that. So that was in the back of your head already. He was, he was, he was, he's thought about this. Usually when we have to do these, you have to edit like at least a minute of like, hmm, humming, but it's like, no, bug fighting type, Africanized bee, let it punch stuff. Unfortunately, we've come to the end and Logan, it has been a true, not as a privilege, an honor to meet someone who literally like has dedicated his whole family's life. It's amazing to meet someone like you. It's makes me really glad I started this podcast. I would have never even dreamed of meeting someone as cool as you. Well, thank you guys so much. I, I love your podcast. I feel like this is the community I fit in, science and Pokemon. So I just really appreciate you guys having me and, and allowing me to uh, talk about what I love. Now, if we want to, if more people want to know about you or the work that you do, where is a good place to go? Uh, well, probably the best place would be like Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I don't have a uh, official website for my business yet, which is Cuts Touch uh, Consulting. Um, but I work a lot with the universities and extension agent programs uh, that put on workshops for beekeepers. So if you want to learn anything about um, what's important in the bee industry, which I am just a a mailman. I get what the researchers are doing and I apply it and I bring it to the beekeepers. Um, so I'm just the middleman. So I'm not as important as, as the researchers and the commercial guys are. Uh, so if you want to want to learn about bees, want to learn about what's really going on in the bee industry, uh, Google search like the University of Florida's Bee Lab and they got some some great information for you. 
So, Logan, thanks so much. We hope to hear from you again. And, uh, thanks again. Have a great one. Oh, my gosh. During that break, I bought 17 Pokemon plush. Which means you have 17 Laprises now. Yes! <laughs> Actually, when you buy it, you get two, so you have 24. Yeah, uh, Or 34. <laughs> so, like, there's also the Vesp Queen sitting cutie, which is amazing, because Vesp Queen. Yeah, I mean, Vesp Queen, we just talked. She's amazing. I, honestly, I just love the fact that this guy keeps calling his, like, oh, my granddaddy. I mean, this is, like, Logan's, like, a true Southern class act, and that man is great. I, I hope we can bring him back someday. Hey, Scarlet and Violet, yes, the game. You're a single entity now. Have another B in it so we can talk with our boy Logan again. That man was sick. More bees, please. More bees. In any case, thanks so much for listening, guys. It was fun listening and doing recordings. And honestly, we can't do it without y'all showing up. And we keep checking our numbers. Like, we are booking through. We are, like, at 423,000 overall listens. Like, a month ago, it was, like, only at around 400,000. So you guys are, like, putting in the work. And I love it. Thank Can you, you guys, guys so much. keep keep spreading the word for us? So please, we really appreciate that. And that's legit. what ColossalCon is for. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day or night. We'll see you guys in the next one. Bye, everybody. Mm-hmm.